All right, welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Bulletin. In, 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 in. <laughs> also known as the podcast of champions. No, that's not what it's known as. Okay, it is. I like it. I like it. We can call it. The it is podcast. funny how many people since launching this three weeks ago. Yeah, how many of our parishioners have come up and said to me. Michael, I love the podcast. Wink. And they wink when they say podcast. Multiple people. I'm a little uncomfortable that they wink. I listen. If you're listening out there, you wink at me, okay? No. <laughs> you no. Not virtue approved. No. Okay. No. Fair uh, enough. Protecting God's evangelists. There we go. All right. So, uh, so all right. Let's. That's getting edited. <laughs> all right. So, let's just jump right on into it. Uh, we had a great question. Both of us were yeah. approached. The other night at Alpha. At Alpha, yep. By uh, not not by a new person to Alpha, but uh, well, can we can we call nah, him out by name? No. Oh, come on. Well, this person, this parishioner, you know who you are. You know who <laughs> you, you are. Faithful fan of the podcast. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> and uh, we've had we've actually had a, a few people that have walked up to us since we started the uh, the Beyond the Bulletin podcast, saying, "Hey." You should do a podcast on this. And they've all been really good suggestions. Really good. And we hope to get to as many of them as we can. Because we've already run out of ideas. All right. No, we haven't. <laughs> uh, but we, we, we talked about it. And this specific question, I, like as soon as she asked the question, I was like, oh, man. Yes. We yes. need to talk about that one. That one gets moved up in the priority list. Mm-hmm. So the question. Well, before yeah. we go any further, uh-huh. I'm Mike Gormley, the coordinator of evangelization. You're listening to Stephen Lanahan, director of communications and development. And we are joined by everyone's second favorite Thomist after Matt Frad, <laughs> <laughs> coordinator of liturgy, Mr. Brian, Brian Jones. Jones. Yeah, we were going to make him. The third co-host, but I think we're just going to make him the permanent Thomist. The permanent Thomist. Yeah, he's not a permanent Thomist. He's not a he's not a co-host. There's been a lot of good feedback with the Thomist joke. So yeah, (laughs) a lot Uh of good feedback with three people said. All right, so enough of that. (laughs) Uh, All right, so let's get back because this topic I feel like it's got a lot of meat to it, and I want to talk about it. So uh, this particular parishioner came up and was kind of struggling with all the stuff that's been going on recently. And Especially Cardinal McCarrick. Yep, Cardinal McCarrick and just the idea of um, corruption in the church and all that kind of stuff that we've all been struggling with. And, and they're all valid feelings that everyone's having no matter what angle they're coming from. Um, but this particular question was around the idea of, okay, so if, um, you know, these there's priests, prelates, bishops, whoever out there that are in a state of mortal sin, right? Because they've been covering something up, because they've been uh, living a life of sin on the side, a double life, that sort of thing. What does that mean for the sacraments? What does that mean for the, the people who are receiving the sacraments from that priest or bishop or whoever that is in a state of sin when they're saying mass, administering a confirmation, baptizing yeah. someone. Yeah, let's specifically narrow it. Like, if you are at a church where Archbishop, former Cardinal McCarrick, Theodore McCarrick, uh, is celebrating mass at a seminary where he's abusing the seminarians, right? What is the deal? It, it, the, this parishioner asks, is that really, am I receiving the Eucharist yeah. from this sin-filled man in the very den of sin that he's created, right? 
uh, with people that he has abused and people who are covering up the abuse. Right. And they're all clergy or potential clergy. What about the baptisms that came? Well, from? what about the ordinations that that archbishop did of the very people he abused? And and what does it mean for the teaching of in persona Christi? Right. So that we we teach that that yeah. when the priest is on the altar and saying mass or performing a sacrament, he's acting in persona Christi, which in Latin means in the person of Christ. Yeah, in persona Christi capitum, in the person of Christ as the head and. The important thing to remember about that is in the grand jury report, some of the priests who abused children in the children's testimony, they said the priest would actually use that phrase, well, I'm in the person of Christ. Mm -hmm. This is what God wants for you as a tool of manipulation. It's gross. So they're using that office. Mm -hmm. Gross is an understatement. Gross is an understatement, right. It's a crime as well as a sin, all all of the things. And so we want to break this open. What about receiving the sacraments from people who are doing such wicked deeds? What happens to the church um, in, in that regard? Yeah, so I, okay, I'm, I'm going to be forthright and honest here. I am like the, um, of the three of us, I probably um, have forgotten the most about my theology degree, <laughs> um, you know, which is funny because, uh, you know, I'm going to be, we're going to be picking up Scott Hahn <laughs> just a little bit to come and speak at our parish, but um, I, you're, I do, the, you're the shemp of the Mo and Larry? Uh, sure. <laughs> Whatever. I don't care. Um, I'm still taller than both of you. Uh, no, I, I am but a child compared to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do remember this, these kind of questions coming up yep. in, um, when I took a sacraments class. Um, and, and, and this idea that um, kind of uh, that a sacrament can be illicit and a, a sacrament can be valid or invalid and that there's a difference between all those. So I'm going to explain my understanding and then Gomer, I want you to correct me because I <laughs> think welcome. I think that I might be a little bit off in this, but my understanding is let's use the sacrament of baptism, for example. Yeah. So if a, uh, if a baby is baptized by a, a deacon or a priest who is in a state of mortal sin, the sacrament is not invalid because the form of the sacrament, as long as that baby was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with water, was validly done, but it is an illicit sacrament because of the sin of the priest. And another, word, another way of saying that is that the, it does not, God does not withhold the grace of that sacrament from the individual receiving because the form was correct mm. despite the skewed... Um, or the imperfect soul of the person performing the sacrament. Now, that's what I think. You are both wrong and right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so close. All right, I was close. It is, okay, so if a, 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 a valid sacrament is one that is tr- really and truly a sacrament, illicit sacrament is one that is lawful or unlawful, meaning uh, a priest can have a terrible mass where he just invents stuff, but if he actually says the words of consecration, the mass itself might be illicitly done, mm-hmm. but the Eucharist itself might be validly consecrated. Right. So it might stink <laughs> what happened, but it's still a valid sacrament. Now, that doesn't touch. That all goes to the form, the words that are said and how it's done. Um, you could have an, uh, an illicit. So, for instance, if the priest makes up a bunch of words around the, the Eucharistic prayer, but then actually says the words of institution, that's valid but illicit. If the priest adds raisins and nutmeg and cinnamon 
to the Eucharistic uh, host. That makes Raisin Bran. That makes Raisin Bran. You put a little bit of sugar, you add some milk, it's amazing, but it ain't the Eucharist. Right. It's invalid as well as illicit. Okay. Right? So what we're so talking I was, about... I was halfway there. You were halfway... Oh, we're halfway there. We're living on a prayer. Um, but the, the difference <laughs> is the validity and, and illicitness doesn't touch the sacri- or the, uh, the personal holiness of the priest. Okay. That is a third thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. So this is the missing part that mm-hmm. I don't know that I've ever learned. So educate me. Yeah. So Brian, oh, bearded one. Brian, oh, oh, bearded one. I'm going to pass it off to a man who can literally grow a full beard in 24 by hours. By lunchtime. Yeah, by lunchtime. I was clean shaven this morning, and now my beard is Mike's size. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a ridiculous. Thicket, a thicket. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, Brian, you're going to head this off. What is it about the sacrament that makes it a sacrament? If we're talking about not just the matter and form, the right way of saying it, the right way you're doing it, but how does the personal holiness of the priest, deacon, or bishop celebrating the sacrament affect the actual reality of the sacrament? Right. So it doesn't, right? So the church teaches that the sacraments work, um, in Latin we say ex opere operato, which means from the very operation or the action of the sacrament itself. So what that means is that the the efficaciousness of the sacrament. So the grace being given in the particular sacrament is not dependent upon in any way. It's not dependent upon the holiness or lack thereof of the one who is administering the sacrament. Yeah. So it's so and, and you think of the maybe a somewhat of a well known story is the one of Saint Francis of Assisi, who would when he would go to confession, he, right, he would look for and find a priest, which probably was at that time maybe somewhat easy, uh, a, a priest that had a reputation for being a not living according to their vocation. And he would go to confession to them to as a sort of witness to this reality of the sacraments, that it was in, he would kneel down before them, he would kiss their hands to show that it is Christ through the instrument of this uh, who is... Unworthy. Yeah, wasn't he directly asked, like, what would, how do you treat a sinful priest or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I think, he yes. Said, I, I, I kiss he, their the great line like is, yeah. he said, if you were to see a saint come down from heaven in all of his glory and uh, the most sinful priest walking by in the street, St. Francis says, I would first go and kneel before the sinful priest and kiss his hands before I would address the saint because it's from his hands that I receive Christ in the Eucharist. That is really hard to accept but it's also hardcore uh, hardcore catholicism yeah, yeah. coming to your face around but i mean but it, but it's that's yeah i mean it i get is, it, it it's yeah. it's a beautiful radical holiness that saint francis lived and it's like oh man like what a gut check for me as a layperson yeah. who's genuinely angry or has been in the past few months about what's going on yeah. um but at the same time i get it you know it's like everything that I do as a Catholic, I'm sustained by the Eucharist. And yeah. so um, the th- troublesome thing would be if you go into confession to one of these notorious sin-filled priests or bishops today and you confess your sins and then they tell you in the confessional, no, no, that's not a sin. Dr. Hahn, who's mm-hmm. coming to our church, he, he would say in the history of the church, there have been plenty, plenty of bishops and priests who lived immoral lives. He said, but the new thing in the church is how we are having priests and bishops say that's not sin anymore. Yeah, that's a little bit scarier. That's the scary thing. That's the scary thing. So, all right, so let's talk about that, how we got to that point, right? Do you think that that is a direct 
um, correlation to Vatican II. Because as you said on one of our other podcasts, the difference in Vatican II and every other council in the church before that is that Vatican II was not a, uh, a doctrinal type uh, council. It was more focused on the pastoral. Yeah. And that was the first time that this kind of idea of focusing so heavy on the pastoral side came out. Did the pendulum swing too far um, in what was addressed at Vatican II, or was it just that the interpretation of it has led us to this? You know, the funny thing is, I would say it was neither. Okay. <laughs> there is this phrase that, get, that got thrown around in the 70s and 80s called the spirit of Vatican II. And a bunch of people. Oh, I know about the spirit of Vatican II. That's right. felt banners. Yes, felt banners. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. The spirit of Vatican II was a phrase that people used to justify crazy innovations in the church, not teaching the church to ch- right. uh, church teaching to children. Um, it didn't. the The spirit of Vatican II is essentially people who didn't read ever the documents of Vatican II, looking at it. And I, I used this line before. It was a council of reform in an age of revolution and rebellion, right? Sexual revolution, drug culture, hippie culture, don't trust anyone over 30. Hey, you know what would be a great thing to do? Hold a council on reform, right? So, yeah, but that's yeah. what it was meant to be. It was meant to respond to the, age, uh, to the, to the, um, the reality of this new age, of this post-Christian world. But so many people in the church just embraced the world and said, look, this is what the church is meant to be in the spirit of Vatican II. We're going to have women con celebrating the Eucharist with the priest. And in the spirit of Vatican II, we're going to knock down altar rails and we're going to knock down beautiful sculptures that have existed in churches and we're going to modernize it with a big flat wall and we're going to put churches in the round and all of these things that directly contradicted kind of what came before it. If you read Vatican II... I mean, our church is kind of in the round. I mean, it's also cruciform, so I'm ah, cool with it. Well it's done, St. Anthony. It is. It is. Uh, <laughs> it's good setup. But take no, it is, it is cruciform, just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The head of the cross is our chapel, yeah. and then the transepts are the, the arms out of the cross. But the to take it back to this notion of the sacraments, one of the things I think we don't realize is the nature of the sacrament, and that's why it sounds like a cop-out, like doesn't it? Like where you're like, well, it doesn't matter how holy the priest is, you're still getting Jesus. It kind of sounds like... It does, it does because, and that's why I think people are so scandalized right now, because your average Catholic doesn't know about matter and form and ex opere yeah. operato opa oprah you know <laughs> they know about oprah they know about oprah but they don't know about that and so you know I, so that that is why it is such a scandalous thing and and everyone just wants to yell out um, maybe not necessarily to a priest here but a, a priest somewhere like woe to you oh hypocrite you know that's that's what the feeling that everyone has on their heart right now when they're they, you know, they know they've received a sacrament. I mean, I personally was going back and looking at some of these different cardinals and bishops that have been, I, I don't want to say they're on trial because they're not on trial, but the court of public opinion, Yeah, the court of public opinion. And I'm sitting there going through, and I was looking back through some of my Facebook photos and stuff. I was like, holy cow, I have met personally met many of these cardinals, not just our, not just our Cardinal Donardo here in Houston. I've met O'Malley. Yeah. I met Cardinal Law in 2006. Uh, right. Brian, I believe you did as yeah, well. Did. Mm-hmm. I've met Cardinal Pell in Australia. I, you know, I've met so all of them. I've been to is... Mass with Cardinal McCarrick and Cardinal Whirl in D.C. And so all of this, like, these yeah. guys who, as I was growing up, I, I'm frustrated when I see, when I think back to that experience. Does that cheapen my experience of that Mass at a World Youth Day or whatever? That's, mm-hmm. that's I think, where the, the passion from our, our and, people are and, coming from. And before you go, Brian, I just want to say it's further compounded when you look at our Protestant brothers and sisters in our neighborhood churches in, in, in the woodlands and around. 
and you don't see this kind of scandal. I mean, uh, scandal is there. You know, it's it, it, Bill Hybels, famous pastor, founder of Willow Creek Church, which has had more influence over American churches than probably anyone else. Um, his model gave birth to Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church, and all this other stuff. But the uh, you know he's just booted out. He had to retire early because of, yeah. of stuff. Um, but it is very easy to look around and be like, well, I don't have to deal with all this sacrament stuff because it sounds like, and you're hearing critique from our, our Protestant brothers and sisters, some more well-intended than others, that says, so your sacraments work independent of the person actually doing them. Sounds like magic to me. It's automatically... Or it sounds know, like anyone can do it, so what's the point of the priesthood? Right. And so um, my big thing... Uh, now, I have, a, 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 I think, a rock-solid and, and awesome answer to this because it comes from the catechism. But, Brian, I just wanted to get your <laughs> thoughts so that people could compare and, in right. reality, contrast our coming in. Well, they could fast-forward through this part. There you go. And, and then they could say, I'll just hum the girl <laughs> right. from Ipanema soundtrack. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I... I mean, I think it's a, at least in terms of phrasing it that way, what you said earlier, that it, it, it seems like it's a cop out. You know, yeah. well, hey, we, you know, the, the sacraments still work. And I think that, you know, obviously people are very frustrated at kind yeah. of the structure. I don't and, want to belong to this church. This priest is evil. Look, he's a notorious sinner. You still get the sacraments. Keep tithing. Shushy, shushy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I think at least maybe I'll set the stage for Mike since his answer is going to be vastly better because not necessarily because of Mike, but because of the catechism. So it's a nice little analogy with the sacraments, right? Um, But the, I would say that part of the sort of view of it is that this should be a, a serious consolation for us that the sacrament, that, that Christ has instituted the sacraments precisely in this way, because, um, I mean, we can use ourselves as the simplest example, the, the three of us, or um, not so much Mike and Stephen, but anyone listening, that the, our, our sinfulness, right? Yeah. Um, Go that, on. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting you two on a pedestal. That's okay. Um, that, uh, you know, very few of us uh, right now are saints, or, you know, that such that um, if it was true that the sacraments would only be efficacious if the uh, celebrant or the one administering them was holy, um, they really would never... They would have been dead in the water from the beginning. Right. They would never yeah. really be efficacious. Yeah, and, and I guess there's, you know, as you were sitting there saying that, I was kind of thinking of St. Paul. Like, dude was a murderer, you know, but he brought the sacraments to the early church. And I think sometimes we don't really... Uh, f- we almost kind of mythologize the apostles. And yep. the reality mm-hmm. is they were just as 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 broken and as sinful as our clergy are today in some ways which it, it's still hard to digest it but that is the reality i mean they were not the the apostles were not um they weren't rat yeah so okay so let's <laughs> yeah. bring this specifically to the question how can baptism be valid if it's done by this immoral monster of a human being. And this is the beautiful thing. You have to understand what a sacrament is. Hold, hold on. Can we just clarify something before you get into it? I know. I'm sorry. We, it's 21 minutes and we still haven't answered the question. I know. Directly. I know. That's okay. <laughs> Set up. I, I just want to clarify, like, when we, you know, we're painting all clergy. Oh, I just mean McCarrick. I'm just talking about McCarrick. Okay. Because the original question to me was about Yeah, McCarrick I just want to clarify that because, you know, I don't want people to, to <laughs> think that we're saying that every clergy member is like this or everyone that... Yeah. 
Yeah, because there's a lot of really, again, and I know we, we feel like we have to say that, but it is important to say it. There are yep. a lot of good holy mm-hmm. um, priests and deacons and religious out there. All right, go on. Yeah, okay, so what we need to realize is the nature of the sacrament. The sacraments are of divine origin, mm-hmm. okay? They're not us making it up. These weren't things. Now, some of the things that we created, the little laws of the church and Kodakan, a lot of kind of protect the dignity of the sacrament come from us. But the sacraments are all instituted by Christ, which means they have divine origins and that they are channels or instruments of God's grace. Okay. So they are instrumental causes of grace in our lives. They're instruments used by God to bring inward grace. And that grace that they transmit is what they symbolize. So baptism symbolizes washing, being made new, like new birth, all of that stuff. That's what it actually brings about. So if you're going to give a a two-word summary of a sacrament, it's an efficacious sign. What it symbolizes, it actually brings about. So that's where we differ from. It's an exterior sign of an interior reality. Yes. And the, the thing is, a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters who do baptism and communion or a type of communion, they would say that it's not really a sacrament, or their definition of sacrament, if they use that word, would be a little bit different. Uh, They would just say it's a sacred sign, and that's it. We say it's a sacred sign that's actually efficacious. It brings it about. Now, the question is, is ex opere operato, is that a cop-out? Is that a cynical answer? Is that magic? No, it speaks to the divine origin and end of the sacraments. We didn't create it. Jesus says, I will build my church in Matthew 16. We didn't create the sacraments. He chose these seven. He instituted these seven. All of them are found in scripture. All of them continue in the life of the church. And they all exist to make us holy, right? So if the priest didn't start the sacrament, if the priesthood didn't invent the sacraments, then the, the, the personal holiness of the priest cannot negate the sacraments. Why? Because it is God's divine power operating through the instrument of that sacrament to give me grace. Yeah. So these are, think of the sacraments as seven privileged encounters of divine grace. And so the priest represents the, he also is a sign of Christ. He stands in persona Christi and he is giving me, God has invested him with the charism in, the, in this hierarchical way, the charism to bring about you know, the Eucharist or confession, absolution and confession, as his minister. So he's merely giving away the graces, the treasury of merits that Christ accomplished and earned for us. So it doesn't come from how holy we are as recipients. Right. It doesn't come from how holy the priest is as the giver. It comes from the holiness of Jesus Christ and his power of the Holy Spirit to actually bring about that efficacious sign. We can throw water on people all day long. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make a baptism. But the moment that we, one, celebrate the sacrament worthily, so for instance, we don't use raisins in our Eucharistic bread, um, two, we intend what the church intends. How do I know that the priest is intending what the church intends? Well, the very fact that externally the priest is doing and doing the prayers and doing the rite of, let's say, baptism of an infant, he's intending what the church intends. That's why he's following along. So you can presume that, right? So if he celebrates it worthily, the very moment that the sacrament is, done, is performed, yeah. ex opere operato, you get that grace. The last stage of the sacramental movement is the worthiness or the disposition to receive that grace in the life of the believer. So objectively, that is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus on the altar at Archbishop McCarrick's last mass. Objectively, that's that. When I go up and receive it, if I receive it from a mortal sinner, 
But I myself am in the state of grace and I'm pursuing virtue and I long to be united with the Lamb of God, then I receive an ocean of grace in my life. If I go up and I myself am in the state of mortal sin and I approach the waterfall of divine grace, I don't receive anything. In fact, I receive judgment. That's why St. Paul says those who eat and drink the body and blood of the Lord are guilty of the very body and blood of our Lord. He goes on to say that's why some of you are sick and some of you have died, right, because you're guiltily receiving and not worthily receiving. So back so, all, so, yeah. that, so that's interesting. That, so that same um, – you could almost think of that same judgment that I would receive if I receive the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin is the same judgment – Maybe even more so. I don't know. I'm not God, but maybe even more so for a minister who performs a sacrament in a state of mortal sin. Yeah. If I receive the Eucharist in the state of mortal sin, I commit another mortal sin called sacrilege, or I should say grave sin called sacrilege. If I go to confession, and I'm aware of a whole bunch of mortal sins, but let's say I'm embarrassed by it, and I directly and intentionally withhold the, the specific kind of mortal sin that I'm guilty of. I've created a sacrilege out of the sacrament of confession. I'm saying, Jesus, I'm going to repent. Here's all my sins, but I'm only going to tell a couple of them, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not, not about venial sins. These are just mortal or grave sins. If you deliberately withhold a mortal or grave sin, you're creating a sacrilege. A sacrilege is a distortion of that sacrament. So when the priest is celebrating these sacraments, he might be creating for himself more additional mortal sins, more wounds and or more destruction of the life of charity and grace that he has in his own soul. But that doesn't get passed on to the Eucharist and then into us. Okay, so you've kind of you've kind of changed my perspective on all this. Okay. In listening to you, kind of the the because again, this this was all came out of a question of one of our parishioners who struggled with this. But honestly, uh, she just put into words what I feel like a lot of us have been thinking yeah. in terms of you know being scandalized. Personally, now after hearing you say that, Gomer, I'm kind of thinking that maybe I shouldn't be so much angry at an abusive or a corrupt or a sinful priest. I really need to have pity for them because. They need, they need mercy more than anything. Like they need, they need grace—the grace of the very sacrament that they're administering mm-hmm. more than anybody. Yeah. Um, and it kind of changes my perspective of—I I don't know. It just—I don't know. I, I, it, it changes it. It changes that rage and that anger into almost like a, a, a sadness for them. You know, of, of how pitiful that yeah. you're in that situation. Yeah. Well, and I think too that part of that that sadness comes from something that Mike mentioned was, you know, the objective character of the reality of the sacrament that's available um, won't be forced upon us. I mean, in the sense that we can be closed off to that grace such that we could be receiving it. We could be celebrating mass every day for 40 years and, and be, in a state of mortal sin, and you know it's it's not going to overpower us, right? The St. Thomas's principle that grace works and builds upon nature, you know. So if if you um, are intentionally closing yourself off to grace working in your life, um, you know the the objective reality is not going to just um, crush your will and and sort of um, you know go over that. You have to say yes to it and allow it to operate within yeah. you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will enter and will dine with him. Those are the words of Christ in the book of Revelation. Think about that. The God who made your soul, who owns your heart, stands at the door and knocks like a gentleman. He doesn't bully through. Um, I want to reiterate again why we hold to ex opere operato by the very 
work being performed, mm-hmm. the sacrament is efficacious, regardless of the state of sin or holiness of the particular priest or, or bishop celebrating it. It's this, okay? It is not the clergy who maintains the sacraments in being. It is God and his Christ, right? Jesus Christ and the holiness of Jesus Christ is what makes the sacraments real. I tell everyone um, when I teach at the inclusion class, which brings Protestants into the Catholic Church, a lot of them come with an anti-sacramental view, right? Baptists, non-denominational people, they are, there is an anti-sacramentalism, not just a non-sacramentalism. Right. And so they'll say to me, like, why do you believe in these magical things? I mean, the very phrase hocus pocus was the Anglican church making fun of Roman oh, yeah. Catholics because when Latin, when the priest elevates the host, he says, hoc est, and he only says those first two words out loud and the rest he says quietly, hoc est, this is my body. And they would say, hocus pocus dominocus, and making fun of Catholics. Like, here's your magical sacraments, people. Mm. But the idea is this. That, sound, is, that sounds kind of sacrilegious. It is very sacrilegious. <laughs> I almost said sacrilegious. Oh, man, that was a Homer Simpson's quote. Yikes. But the idea is this. It's not us. It's grace. It's not us. It's not me being so holy, I turn that bread into wine. It's not the priest or bishop being so holy, I turn that bread into wine. Yeah, that, that bread even into... God can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I squared that circle. I married that bachelor. Anywho. The, uh, <laughs> but it's not, it's not the priest's personal holiness that makes the change. It's the office as distinguished from the person. The one thing to be an instrument of grace, it's another thing to be personally holy. And the reason why is it is God alone. All the, the whole sacramental system, it is God alone. It all depends on him, and God acts in the sacraments. And to the person out there, the same like many of my inclusion people will say, well, why do you believe every time this evil priest, if there is an evil priest or bishop, Cardinal McCarrick, whatever, if he's up on the, Euchar- uh, up on the altar and he's saying the words of consecration, why would God honor his words? And it's the same reason for Scripture. Though man is not faithful, God remains faithful. Though man turns away in sin, God remains faithful to his covenant. He has made a promise. Mm. He has made a promise. The sacraments are God's vindication of his promises. Which is kind of very Old Testament when you think about, like, covenant theology. Like, you know, a a lot of the prophets of old, the, the covenants were carried on by or, you know, they they ended up messing up, right? Moses, uh, Noah, they all had sinful moments even after the covenant was first issued, and that's why we kept going on this journey with God yeah. the Father. Jeff Caven talks about that a lot in the Great Adventure Bible Study. Yeah, and the idea is, uh, it's, it's funny because I just said that God keeps his promises. Scott Hahn wrote a book called The Father Who Keeps His Promises. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking about Scott Hahn. Oh, wait, he's coming to our church. Hmm. Or actually, by the time you hear this, he probably already would have been here. But um, it's this notion that God has entered into humanity in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ sent his spirit into his church. What is the church? The place where the spirit flourishes. Okay, And it flourishes principally among the reception of the sacraments. Why do the sacraments exist? To bring us closer to Christ, to bring us into conformity to Jesus. Privileged channels of divine grace to make us like God. Why is that important? Because it all depends on God. Right? It all <laughs> depends on... That was crazy, Gomer, coming out. No, it's okay. It all depends on God. So that helps break us of this notion of the limits of that man on the altar's holiness is what limits the effectiveness in my life of receiving the sacraments, why would the limits of that man and his, his inability to run from mortal sin, right. why would his limitation 
affect my relationship with God. As long as he does what the church intends, the moment he celebrates the sacrament, in word and in deed, in matter and form, all of that stuff, the moment it, he celebrates it, the grace is released. Can you imagine if it was dependent on the holiness of the priest? Can you imagine that? But like you, so let's say you get a lukewarm priest. Not a, not a mortal sinner, but not a, a, someone who just, their love has grown cold. Yeah. Right? So you'd only get half of Jesus in communion time? That's like, weird. We like to think of it in terms of, right? You, <laughs> well, I only got half the Jesus. Um, we think of it in terms of, like, that guy's obviously evil. But what about the people who aren't obviously evil? What about the people who are just lukewarm or who are losing their faith or forgot to pray that or, morning? Or maybe just might be going through a crisis of faith themselves. Yeah. 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 So it's not dependent on the man. It is dependent solely upon the man, Jesus Christ. Oh, and I think part of, um, not not to harp on the scandal, but just a part of this, you know, when you talk about the kind of the, the clericalism um, that uh, th- I think there was a collapsing of the distinction between the office as instrument and then yep. the person, right, where they became a single thing with the office being held as sacred, which then automatically meant that because this person, let's say, received holy orders and is a priest, they, by definition, are then holy. So that the, you know, there certainly, it's not the only cause, but there was a part of this, how, you know, how could someone do this who has received yeah, this sacrament? Yeah. yeah, and I could see how that would happen. I mean, I, I would surely even I've been guilty of it, and I think maybe that's the one of the good things that's going to come out of this time yeah. in the church right now is that, you know, we, we as Catholics, a lot of times we like to embrace the cultural side of our faith. Um, yeah. it, you know, it's very definitive in Western culture that um, the, the way the church is set up, the everything from a Roman collar to church bells, all that. So we like that stuff. We like the smells and bells of our faith. Because we're sacramental people. Because we're sacramental people. But I think what this is doing is it's calling us back to remind ourselves Mm -hmm. that while all that can be good, it is not the source and summit of Mm -hmm. everything that we do and everything that we are. Yeah. And again, going to the book of Revelation, as I'm one to do, uh, (laughs) Jesus has this letter to the church. I think it was the church in Ephesus where he says, like, you're doing all these things great. And he lists off all this stuff. And he goes, I only have one thing against you. You've forgotten the one whom you first loved. Return to me. Right. And it's this call of like, you're doing a lot of really good things, man. But you need to come home to me. Be restored to me. St. Thomas Aquinas, I want to kind of make this really, really clear for you out there. If you're still kind of struggling with what we said, St. Thomas Aquinas in his great Summa Theologica in in the third part, he says, the sacrament is not wrought by the righteousness of either the celebrant or the recipient, but by the power of God. So the moment we take the emphasis and put it on the person doing it, or the person receiving it for its objective reality to occur, we're saying, God, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on me, right? And that, that's yeah. pure what we would call Pelagianism. That's a works-based righteousness that has no place in the church. And the second thing uh, that I want to say is this notion of um, it's, it's on the uh, second part of the catechism, which is on the sacraments and liturgy, section one, which is mostly liturgical stuff, article two on the Paschal Mystery. It directly brings up ex opere operato. So if you want to go What's the paragraph it? number in the catechism? That's the easier way to look at it. I up. know, but I forgot to write that down. Oh, my Oh, wait, gosh. wait, wait, wait. It's literally right in front of me. Paragraph <laughs> 1128. It's like you are more prepared than you thought. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 it's like it all depended on God. All right, all right. Whoa, so the catechism. <laughs> I'm just Repeat it again. The catechism. 11. Paragraph. 
1128. Okay. This is the meaning of the church's affirmation that the sacraments act ex opere operato, literally by the very fact of the action being performed, by virtue of the saving work of Christ accomplished once for all. From the moment that a sacrament is celebrated in accordance with the intention of the church, the power of Christ and his spirit acts in and through it, independently of the personal holiness of the minister. We need to remember that, especially in these times of trial. Mic drop. I would, but these mics are very expensive. All right, good. And I want to have some fiduciary responsibility. What? Fiduciary, fiduciary stewardship? Yeah. Uh, no, for the <laughs> we're just going to be good stewards, good stewards of good these stewards. microphones. Can I say one thing? So when Mike was talking, yeah. I was agreeing with him, and I went, mm-hmm, but my voice cracked. And it was in the mic. So you well, can either leave it in or edit it out. It's, it's probably going to stay in there. Okay, that's fine. People just need to you know, know the truth about you. If the dogs start going, rup, 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 that's because my <laughs> voice went high. <laughs> well, uh, this has been extremely helpful and encouraging, I think, to me personally. So, Gomer, thank you for kind of... Uh, preparing and Brian for preparing um, a little bit to, to kind of tackle this question. And thank you to unnamed <laughs> parishioner who brought this question to us because I think that it is uh, it's a question we all have. And if we haven't had it yet, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure everyone kind of has that question at some point in their yeah. faith journey. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Get all the time and inclusion. Awesome. Well, uh, it's been real and it's been fun. Keep praying for the church. Uh, the great line from the catechism on uh, under the article on the church is holy. It says that the church always gathers sinners, clasping them to her bosom at once holy and always in need of purification. That's the church. Always in need of purification. Yes. Uh, the, the description that I was given one time of it, um, and I don't know if this is a good visual or not, but if, uh, if the church is the bride of Christ... Uh, you can imagine a bride on her wedding day, but she she's all dressed in white, but she all constantly has mud on her face, and Christ is constantly wiping that mud off the face <laughs> of his bride. And that's the reality of what it means to be church. Yeah. It's a weird analogy, but I like it. Well, it works it, with Ephesians chapter 5 where St. Paul connects it to marriage and then says uh, he gave himself for, for her to make her a spotless bride without wrinkle, right? So yeah. that notion of constantly cleansing his bride. I yeah. like that. There you go. My simple mind. You're welcome for the visual. <laughs> and that's why I'm not in youth ministry anymore, folks. All right. Thank you guys for listening in, and we will see you on the next podcast. Podcast, you mean.